I remember hearing this in school just a few months after my teacher saying, you know, it's so interesting that Paul never says this person's sick. Let's pray that they get better. But this person is sick through their sickness. God, would you make them more dependent on you? And just thinking like, man, I totally missed that. Like I was so focused on my will and my wants and my comfort that I missed the fact that God wanted to commune with me in my pain. And I think there's something so beautiful about that. And I, it sucks to hear, like, it just can be very blunt. It's the worst. Like when you want nothing more but to die, you, you want healing. Our guest today continually finds herself asking the question, can I say that? Partly because that is the name of her podcast, but then also that seems to be at least part of the spirit in which she does ministry, continually delving into topics that many Christians find too risque, too dangerous to to dive into. And Brenna Blaine, who you're going to hear from in just a few moments, does phenomenally well in talking about these topics, talking about her own experiences with these topics, and doing it all in a way that invites you into the same life change that she's experienced through Jesus Christ. So I'm excited for you to hear from her. I do just want to say this up front, something that became clear to me in my conversation with Brenna, um, in listening to her tell her story and journey in regards to mental health. Um, she talks quite a bit about, um, struggling with suicidal thoughts and thoughts of self-harm and experiences that she had that came along with it. And Brenna and I both agreed it would be best for me to put just a warning on the front of the show. If you um, struggle with those same types of thoughts and you think that hearing someone else's story might uh, put you in a bad place, I want you to do two things. Don't feel bad about turning off this episode. Um, At a later date, maybe you can approach it. I'd love for you to reach out not only to Brenna, um, maybe to speak to her personally, but also if you've never reached out to a professional, um, whether that be a counselor, a therapist, a doctor, um, your pastor, uh, about your struggles with mental health, I encourage you to do that today. And maybe that's what this episode is for, is for you to hear that. Um, and as a pastor, I want to go ahead and tell you, it's okay for you to not only talk to your pastor. In fact, as a pastor, I encourage you to talk to people other than your pastor, because, uh, if your pastor is anything like me, I'm not a mental health professional. And so I just want to get all that out there because I don't want anybody to have a negative experience listening to this episode because my conversation with Brenna went far beyond her own personal experiences with mental health and the anguish that came with it. Um, but we spent most of our time talking about the victory that she's experienced now, uh, in her, in her life in Christ and her life as a wife and mother and, um, somebody who is constantly speaking out about the truth and beauty of the gospel. Brenna Blaine is going to be one of your new favorite people. Make sure to go check out all of her social media links and everything in the show notes. You're going to want to do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, as you heard from the clip, it's it's just Brenna is an extremely transparent person, an extremely authentic person, and you are very much going to enjoy her. 
before we get to her episode, I want to make sure that everybody knows next week there's going to be a crew episode. Me and the guys are discussing eschatology, end times, heaven and hell. Some pretty big topics, and we are excited to talk about it. If you're listening to this episode when it goes live and you have questions that you want us to tackle on that episode, email me at jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org or DM me on Instagram, allthings.allpeople. Um, and while you're there, go ahead and follow All Things All People on Instagram. We'd love to have your engagement there, your questions and everything there. We have an awesome community kind of developing on Instagram, and we're super thankful for that. So uh, make sure you do all that. Make sure before the episode's over, uh, go check out Brenna's Instagram, her Twitter, and all, all the things that she's doing online. But I'm really excited for you to hear uh, the amazing story of transformation, healing, and victory of our Christian thinker for this week, Brenna Blaine. My next guest is a wife, mother, and speaker from the Pacific Northwest. She has a bachelor's in theology and biblical studies from Multnomah University and uses her degree to help Christians pursue a deeper and more authentic relationship with the living God. While she speaks on many topics, she is most passionate about God's involvement in our pain and personal struggles, including mental illness, same-sex attraction, and abuse. Her ministry is devoted to preaching, speaking, and teaching about the God who is near and not afraid of our questions. And that defines so much of who she is and what she does. And so it's my great honor to have on the All Things All People podcast today, Brenna Blaine. Brenna, thank you so much for, for doing this. Thanks for having me. You did a lot of research. There's like all, everything I've ever typed was like right in that intro. That was really good. <laughs> so I, um, I, well, I, I appreciate that, but it's, it's in a testament mostly to you because I always do research for the show, but there's sometimes where it's just more fun for me to do research. I guess, especially if it's somebody who I don't know a lot about and like digging into finding out about you, because I followed you on social media for a long time. We've interacted some on social media, um, but like really reading your story and like the extent of your ministry has been um, really amazing. And it seems like it's really only taken place, um, at least like the speaking engagements and stuff like that over like the last two years or so. Is that true? Yeah, I would. Um, I've been speaking for about uh, five years, but okay, those yeah. prior three years to the last two years were I was working in ministry. So it's basically just for one or two different youth ministries. And now it's kind of more of a what I would call a vocation now. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you're so interesting to me because um, like, I like when I get to interact with people who, who, I mean, kind of like go about things differently than me. And I mean, we're on different sides of the country. Um, but then also like your ministry and all things, all people has like very similar missions, but kind of goes about it in a different way. And for listeners, we talk about this pre-show, but for listeners who don't know, probably one of my more, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was embarrassing, but tough moments on social media came at the hands of you. We, me and uh, Josh and Ben, who are kind of my co-hosts on our other episodes, had made these lists of everybody who we would want to have dinner with. And because we are three evangelical white men, we somehow realized we didn't have any women on this list. And you lovingly as a sister in Christ pointed that out for all my social media followers. What was going through your mind was like, I'm going to I'm going to make Jeremy realize his mistake here on these on this list. 
I, it's and it's by the way, it's still there. I didn't delete it. So if somebody <laughs> wants to go back and like it, I would love to see that happen. You know, I'm I deal with sarcasm probably more than I should. You know, it's definitely I saw a post the other day that was like sarcasm is not a fruit of the spirit. And I was like, oh, that I feel like that's too for bad me. because, yeah, I mean, we're pretty I think a lot of us are pretty good at it. Yeah. But um, I think when I was in school, just realizing like, oh, man, for evangelicals in America, even myself, mm-hmm. there's so many times I we just very broadly promote white evangelical men in their books and whatever and it's like now we're to the place where i don't think we have an excuse like i think there are many gifted people of color there always has been but in the evangelical world many gifted people of color who are speaking and many gifted women who are speaking and i think now it's almost like hey we need we need to work on this like we really do so well, first of all, I appreciated the call out on social media because it was appropriate, but it's so funny because we've been, we're coming up on a year of doing this show and like, I made my first list of people. Okay. Who am I going to reach out to? And then I looked at it and I was like, oh gosh, like I don't, I mean, it was really humbling for me because I was like, other than like Beth Moore, I don't mm, know mm-hmm. any women who really are like doing anything in evangelicalism. And I was like, but I know that that's not true. And so Mm. this has been a really big learning process for me and and the guys who helped me with it, because we've been like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, Brenna, Amy Gannett, Christian McClellan, Felicia Masonheimer, um, Sarah Yard. Like we've had a ton of really impressive women. And actually, I think my most popular episodes tend to be women. I don't know why that is, Mm. but um, and I'm, and I'm assuming you're going to be no different. So I do appreciate the, um, the sisterly rebuke on social media, <laughs> but, um, so, but you know, every time I read something that, that you, that is about you now, you are so much more, um, than just some of the topics that you talk about. Mm. Um, I want to make sure to lead with that, but you, you do, like I said, sp- uh, centralize around a, a few particular topics, but one that I, I'm so excited to hear from you on is the, the issue of mental health in, in, in and around the church too. And I think um, there's plenty of people who can speak to mental health, but unfortunately not enough Christians are talking about it. And in hearing you describe yourself, um, I saw somewhere where you described yourself as a quote, mentally ill human pursuing God living in a messed up world. And you, like one of the things I admire the most about you is that you're super open about the fact that you've struggled with bipolar disorder. And you actually, mm. I've seen you say, like, I don't call it anxiety. I don't dance around it. Like, I name it. And and I, I appreciate that. But many Christians do dance around the issue of mental health. And you continue to advocate for more transparency and dialogue in the church on the issue, which as a pastor, I think is desperately needed. What has your journey with with mental health, as well as like, struggling with mental health, but then also being a very open and, and transparent Christian at the same time. Um, like what's that story been? Mm. So I, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was actually a pastor for the first few years of my life. And so I knew, I knew the Bible. I knew Jesus. I knew all these things. I think I knew, you know, I knew what I was supposed to know. Mm-hmm. And that was, it, it's easy to have childlike faith when you're a child but when I was around nine years old I went through a series of different just uh, traumatic events I lost my grandma um my parents 
ended up getting separated and I was really close to my dad and I wasn't really sure why that was taking place. I just knew my dad was moving out. And then around the age of 10, so just a few months later, I ended up being molested by a, a stranger basically. And so I don't know, like, I know that mental illness runs in my family. And so I know that it could be that. And then I also have to acknowledge that there are a lot of traumatic things that happened when I was young that I didn't get help or treatment for for a while. And so I think there's just a lot at play. So by the time I was 14, I was definitely, I was self-harming and I was, I was very suicidal. Like I can say that for sure. I know, um, and I don't, I mean, I want to say trigger warning on yeah. this entire conversation, but yeah. you know, I was really just engrossed with how do people kill themselves? If this is like, can I make this an option for myself? I just want this pain to end. I don't know why I feel this way. My parents ended up getting back together, which is like a miracle and a beautiful story of redemption in itself. But for me, I didn't understand it or see it that way for a really long time. And so I was just in kind of this place of, um, isolation. And I, I, a lot of it was self-inflicted. Like I, my parents totally would have done anything that they could have, if they knew I was molested, you know, like there's so many things. And as soon as they found out I was self-harming, they put me into therapy. So I started in therapy and started on medication at age 14 and continued on that through, that was through age 19 and just really struggled with, you know, the classic, classic, that's a terrible term to use, but classic depression and anxiety through high school. I had ups and downs. The, towards the end of my senior year, I had just read a book called My Name is Hope by John Mark Comer. That was really encouraging to me as a Christian. Um, well, and I would, I would call myself a Christian at that point. And then looking back now, I'm like, well, I, I sure, did not yeah. know who Jesus was, yeah. but it had some really good, um, just even like practical stuff about like not drinking so much caffeine and yeah. like going to the gym. And so I felt like I, by the end of my senior year, that I was in a pretty good place. And so I didn't want to go to school. I hated school. I went to a college prep school and it was really difficult. I, I got C's and all of my friends were really, really smart and I hated it. So I was like, I'm not going to college. I'm never doing this. So I ended up getting my associate's degree my last two years of high school to honor my parents. And then I was like, what's easy? What's, what's going to be easy to get me away from here? So I ended up doing Youth with a Mission, yeah. also known as YWAM. Mm -hmm. So I went and did that. That was a six-month program. Uh changed me in, in a lot of ways. I feel like I met God for the first time in a real and practical way. But at that time as well, I was very much in the mindset that my struggle with mental illness is very much something of the past. Like I was like, man, this is really hard, but God saved me from this and God is good. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I'm done with it. And I'm glad I'm through. So age now I'm 21 and I had a job and I was engaged to get married and, uh, and I was, I was doing well, I was, I was doing really, really well. And, uh, I got offered a job as a youth pastor at a local church, which I had never dreamed that I would be offered. And, um, I was going, I decided to go to Multnomah at that mm -hmm. time as well. And it was 
late August, came home from a camp and just had a panic attack. And it was very, very strange because I hadn't dealt with that for a long time. And I was like, I'm 21. I'm in ministry. This shouldn't be happening. And it was like day after day after day after day that just kind of like ramped up from there. And then in September, a friend's brother committed suicide. And I just remember like it was this, I had this massive reckoning that happened with me going, oh my gosh, am I like, I'm not over this. Like, I'm not well. I still want to die and I don't know why. And so I got married in October. No, that's wrong. I got married in <laughs> November. And um, and I was working as a youth pastor, speaking every week, leading kids and our youth leaders. And I was not sleeping and not eating and just a complete wreck at home. Like, could not look we had I just remember so vividly we had wood wooden floors and I could not look at the floor without picturing just my own blood on the floors. Like it was just this horrific daily obsession with just wanting to die. And I remember the entire time just praying, like, Lord, would you just heal me from this? Cause I'm sick. I am deeply, deeply sick. And there's nothing else. And and that went on through January and I just felt like I was getting no relief and I was in therapy and on medication and being very upfront with my therapist and I was like I just don't know like what's going on and the question of being bipolar came up and I remember I mentioned to it to my family and I think my family out of a fair reaction of only knowing people with very um you know, bipolar is more of a, a, a spectrum. And I think doctors are uh, leaning more towards explaining it that way now than they were a few years ago. But my parents only ever had experience with people who were bipolar, who were very, very manic. Sure. And it's very much the typical Hollywood portrayal of bipolar disorder. And so they're like, no, I don't, that's not you. That doesn't seem like you. And so I think for me, when the mention of that happened, I was like almost a little bit hopeful because there was maybe a name for what I was experiencing. But then it was like, okay, well, apparently I don't fit, you know, and I, I, I don't want to say like, well, my parents are wrong, but I'm like, okay, no, that's also, that's fair. Like it, this isn't what I'm seeing in TV. And so um, that just, I didn't, there wasn't any like sought after help within that. And I I think I tried to go see a psychiatrist, but the wait list was six months, oh which God. is super typical and super heartbreaking for those who struggle with mental health issues. And so it's January and I had to lead a all church worship night. And I just remember thinking like, I'm going to get through this and then I'm going to try and kill myself like the next day. So that was on a Sunday night. And I've never shared this part of the story, but it was so, it was so interesting the way that God was at work during that time. My dad showed up to the worship night and I was on staff and worked at, uh, and led at a church that my parents did. And my dad showed up at the worship night and I was like, what the heck is my dad doing here? It's so weird. And he was just 
crying. And like, I knew in that moment that he knew that I wasn't okay. And that was like, that was just so, it was just so strange, but looking back on it now, it's also like, man, God was moving so many people at that time. And so the next day went to my office, told my boss, Hey, I'm praying about stepping down. I, d- I don't think this is working for me. I'm really struggling. That was kind of the only conversation. And he was like, okay, you don't need to go to your meetings the rest of the day. You can, you can go ahead and go home. So for me, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. my husband's not gonna be home for five hours. I have time to like try to commit suicide. So I packed my bag and I remember having this sense of pause. Like I wasn't scared to go home, but I just something was like, you have to just sit here for 30 minutes. So I set a timer on my phone and then the timer went off and I stood up and I grabbed my stuff and a lady came into my office and shut my door. She sat in the chair in front of me and she said, Brenna, do I need to take you to the hospital? Like, that's the first thing she said. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's okay. Thanks. And she was like, Brenna, does does the idea of going to the hospital give you any sense of relief? And I was like, okay, my options are go home and try and kill myself. Or maybe, maybe someone can help me. Maybe. So I said, okay. And she put me in her car, took me to her house, fed me lunch, called my parents. And I was just like so broken. But my parents, I think, knew. Like they knew exactly where I was at. And they're like, okay, we just, we love you. We're really glad you're safe. Went to the hospital. My husband met me there. Um, And I just like remembering feeling like I should feel like such a gigantic sense of shame, but that like it just never got there. And I had two friends who came and visited and brought me coffee. I had to wait, um, (laughs) I had to wait to get, uh, I just a social worker and then I had to be transferred to a different hospital because there wasn't a psych ward. And so I remember a nurse came in and was doing my labs and he was, I don't know what, he asked me what I did. I said, I'm a student. I go to Milton Noma and he goes, oh, do you know Gary Brashears who I had just had coffee with like oh, wow. two months ago? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and it, like, it was just the weirdest, oh. like, him being my nurse and being like hey you're gonna be okay like this sense where he couldn't be like i'm praying for you but just that Mm -hmm. so i got transferred and i remember that night uh i thought i was gonna be able to see my husband and i didn't get to see him and so i'm sitting at the end of my bed and i'm in the psych ward and when you first go they put you in a locked unit so that they can make sure you won't hurt yourself or someone else Mm -hmm. that's very much like tv with that setting very, very strange. I've never been in a setting like that before. And I was just so, so alone. And I remember just sobbing at the end of my bed, thinking like, this is the most alone I've ever been in my life. And then thinking of the verse and the peace that transcends all understanding will be with you. And just thinking like, well, I have nothing else to do at this moment. Like I can call on God or I can just try and sleep. And so I was like, okay, God, um, I'm frustrated with you because you haven't healed me. I've been sick for so long and you haven't healed me. 
but could you at least be with me? And I just remember this overwhelming sense of peace. And I slept for eight hours for the first time in that five and a half, six month span. And uh, the next day, <laughs> psychiatrist came in and met me, asked me what I did. He looked at me. I think he said, did you do YWAM? <laughs> and I was like, what are you even like, what? <laughs> so he, yeah. he, in the words he wasn't allowed to say, yeah basically told me he was also a believer and I didn't tell him that I was a speaker, but he said, you know, he goes, are you a speaker? And I was like, uh, I mean, that's part of my job. And he was like, Brenna, this does not killing yourself does not line up with your theology. And, um, so while I was there, I got diagnosed as bipolar. And I just remember thinking, I don't know anyone in ministry with bipolar disorder. I know pastors who struggle with anxiety and who struggle with depression, but I don't know anyone who struggles with bipolar disorder and just feeling like almost like my life was over, like my calling was like then terminated. And I was so nervous about my job. And I remember um, meeting with my boss slash my old youth pastor. And he said, Brenda, we're going to put you on medical leave, but we really want you to come back. And I ultimately didn't end up coming back, which I think was the best thing. And I got to finish school. And then I also found out I was pregnant the same month, (laughs) which was insane. But um, just like how healing and encouraging it was for them to say, like you are bipolar, but you can also be in ministry and you Mm -hmm. are a liable person, you know, like just this huge amount of affirmation um, and being seen as a person and not as my disorder was Mm -hmm. and still is one of the most forming moments of my life. And so, um, so that's, that's my story with, It's very long, so. <laughs> no, it's perfect. And, I, you know, for me, there's so many parts of it. And first of all, you know, you mentioned trigger warning. I, I, I'm i going to attach something at the beginning of this episode when I do the lead in, um, because I do think so many people are struggling with this and, and, mm. and, and probably have never been quite to the point that you've been, but might be entertaining some of those same notions. And the thing that is so... I mean, amazing, but yet at the same time, um, heartbreaking is throughout this whole process leading up to the hospitalization, you know, you were, you were doing all the right things. Like Mm. you said, you were in therapy, you were taking medication, you were being very vulnerable and transparent with your therapist. And I feel like a lot of the, as a pastor, and then, you know, having struggled with anxiety myself, like you said, I'm one of those pastors that for some reason, pastoring and being a mystery, for some reason, I think we all struggle with anxiety, but, Mm. but that's not what you've struggled with. And there's a clear distinction and, um, having struggled with bipolar, uh, syndrome, like bipolar disorder. Um, there's so many people who are probably listening to this that probably feel like they're doing all the right things. Mm. Maybe they're taking their doctor's advice, their, you know, their family's advice, their pastor's advice. Maybe they're taking medication. Maybe they're seeing a therapist and like, like you've experienced, it's, they're still struggling. Like mm-hmm. what, what would you say to those people who, you know, like you in that hospital saying, God, I, you said, you know, you haven't healed me, but could you at least be with me? And I, and I feel like so many people probably resonate with that idea. So what would you say to that camp of people that are like, yes, I get that because 
I'm doing all the right things, but I'm still really, really struggling. Yeah, I, I think I would say that there's so much beauty that I missed. I didn't have, I had a disconnect with who God promises to be to us in this broken world. And I didn't realize it until I, I had to go back and, or I didn't have to, but I got mm-hmm. to go back and preach, I think three weeks after I was in the hospital and just thinking like, what am I even going to say to these people? Like mm-hmm. just feeling so broken and so like just so many different things and I read through the story of Jesus and Lazarus and just going like why did Jesus take time to weep yeah with Mary and Martha and realizing that God does not desire to bypass our feelings mm-hmm. like God isn't looking to be our superhero, I think so many times we want him to be that. Like, I just wanted him to come in and heal me. That's all I wanted. But God's plan was to teach me so much more about who he is and his character and his goodness through this. And then I think that's so reflected in the way that the apostle Paul prays for people when he's, and he never prays. I remember hearing this in school just a few months after my teacher saying, you know, it's so interesting that Paul never says this person's sick. Let's pray that they get better. But this person is sick through their sickness. God, would you make them more dependent on you? Mm-hmm. And just thinking like, man, I totally missed that. Yeah. Like I was so focused on my will mm-hmm. and my wants and my comfort that I missed the fact that God wanted to commune with me in my pain. And I think there's something so beautiful about that. And I, it sucks to hear, like, it just can be very blunt. It's the worst. Like when you want nothing more, but to die, you, you want healing. But if God would have healed me, I just, I wouldn't know God in the way I know him today. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that is amazing. And I think about the moment when I was reading through your story before in that moment, I think it was a psychiatrist, like you said, who came in and sort of tongue in cheek, let you know he was a Christian and in his own way pointed out to you, Hey, Brenna, what you preach in your theology, you can't reconcile that with self-harm and suicide. And it seemed like that was a big, at least one of many turning points for you. And um, it almost seems like I've seen it in my life over and over again and in pastoring and especially in student ministry is we have these moments where our theology and our knowledge kind of transfer from like theoretical to like operative. Like Mm. I know that and I believe it. And it's not to take away from the fact we do believe it. But then we have these moments where it's like the belief really becomes lived and were these moments that you're describing like you know talking to the leadership of your church talking to psychiatrists and nurses and, and probably your husband were, were was this a stretch of time where there was a lot of belief that went from like a theoretical to an operative i think it was very slow because i i remember even in april may being pregnant and being like oh this is technically my first mother's day and just feeling like I was only alive because I had another life inside of me and that it was kind of out of this obligation. And I don't know. I, it was 
I think it was the combination of all of that happening. And it was almost like whiplash, right? Like it happened so fast and it, it, everything was so profound, just every single moment, even the lady that picked me up, she, I think I forgot to mention this, but she came because she felt like she was supposed to pray for me. And when she prayed for me, she felt like God said, go get her. Wow. Like that, you know, just all these little details that to me, I'm like, that's obviously God. Yeah. That in the, in the moment and in the months following that, I was kind of just like, okay, like whatever, like I'm still alive. And then this slow, slow. And I just remember holding my son in church for the first Sunday after he was born and just weeping because it was like that moment when it was like, oh my gosh, like I could have missed all of this. I could have missed this moment. And I like, even what I get to tell my kids about how God works through mental illness and how God works through our brokenness because I got to live through it is so much better to me than being like, well, I think God's good. I'm not sure. Yeah. I haven't, exp- you know what I yeah. mean? Like, Oh no. Yeah. So I think, yeah. it, I think it took, it took that good nine months of pregnancy yeah. to get me there. And you know, you and I um, having similar like social media presences and like missions and podcasting world and all that I have come up against or not come up against it, but like have realized how ill-equipped I am to, to speak to like a younger generation that, is very transparent about mental mm-hmm. illness. Like, I mean, you know, we typically would say Gen Z, but like Gen Z is like, they are not afraid to talk about mental illness. And, and I feel like people like you who, who not only have gone through it, but you, you walk in this confidence and boldness that I think really could only come from God to, to, to share that story that you just shared. And I think that that along with many other things, like I said, you are, there's so much more to you than just the things that you've been through, but you are able to speak to people that I could never speak to, or, or at least they wouldn't listen to me like they listen mm-hmm. to you. And I think that that's been why um, ministry, especially like, can I say that podcast um, and, and forthcoming, hopefully book um, is, is pretty awesome. And like, I, that was like the first thing that I noticed in your ministry. Cause like when you start a podcast, you sort of have like this, well, let's see who else is doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who's this woman who's answering all these really, <laughs> really difficult questions. And it's, um, it sets a great example of your message about the God who is near and not afraid of our questions. Mm-hmm. And I, I really love that. And recent episodes just for listeners, um, to realize like how serious of a question discusser you are, but like recent episodes include discussions on fear and anxiety and mental, uh, health, the prosperity gospel, pornography, fallen leaders, which unfortunately is uh, a prevailing topic, it seems, every few months, um, purity culture and more. And like in the the description of the show, um, you guys list that like the idea of like asking questions that you don't ask in church. And when I saw that, it sort of clicked with me because like that's a big reason why I do this. And then I, I started to meditate on that. I was like, well, why don't we ask those questions mm. in church? You know, so like, you're a leader. I'm a leader. And like, we don't ask those questions in church. And that idea is driving a lot of podcasts and social media and content. It's like our social media presence is based upon the idea is like, Hey, you can ask me the things that you won't or can't mm. ask your pastor. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Like if I put you in charge of finding a way for people to feel comfortable 
bringing in these questions into the local church, like what would that have to look like in your mind? Because, you know, when I get up to teach on a Sunday morning, I might teach for like, you know, 35, 45 minutes there, there's no Q and a, there's no discussion. Like what, what would be the goal in your mind of, of driving people to begin asking these questions, not just in podcasts and social media, but to their pastors, to their small group leaders, to their husbands and wives and, and whatnot, what would that look like? I think leaders and pastors have to talk about it first. Mm -hmm. They have to be willing to get up and teach from a place of honesty while using discernment from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's, you know, for me, I remember this moment where when I was in high school, I had an eating disorder. And for me, I was like, that's not that that has nothing to do with God. Like he doesn't care about that. It's whatever. I'm vain. It doesn't matter. (laughs) And I remember this girl sharing her testimony, like talking about that and how God totally transformed her life through her eating disorder. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean that God cares about that? Because I just feel like I'm vain. Like, I just feel like this doesn't matter. Yeah. And just like getting the sense of... um like our testimonies have so much like it's what it's in revelation, right? Where it talks about how he has overcome him by the blood of the lamb and their testimony and how interesting that God is like, I'm going to use broken people's testimonies to overcome Satan, to overcome evil. And just thinking like, you know, there, I, I don't think you should be having PG 13 conversations um, or topics every single Sunday on at your church but I do think there's something so powerful when a leader specifically a spiritual leader is able to say like this is my story Mm -hmm. this is how God entered into my life in this specific area or inviting other people who've had you know who've struggled with sexual addictions who've struggled with um, I mean, if we're going to go with the more conservative side of Christianity who struggle with same-sex attraction, yeah. you know, these all these issues that I think we're taught on, but we're not we're not witnessed to, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Like I could tell you the theology of so many different things. Like we're not supposed to be sexually addicted, you know, uh, like, yeah. but to hear yeah. from someone else be so vulnerable and to practice, I, I would guess this would be like um, delayed confession. I That's not delayed confession, but you know, your testimony yeah. for them to say like, I'm human, I'm broken, I think means so much because yeah. I know like for me growing up, I was like, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. But I never had anyone sit in front of me for a long time and say, this was really difficult for me. I struggled with it. And now this is how God met me in it. Yeah. Is in, but as soon as I heard that, then it felt like an invitation to me to be able mm-hmm. to go, oh, hey, me too. Can you can you tell me more about that? Yeah. And one thing that I'm fascinated with you um, is, you know, so much of some of those things, like you, like some of the things you threw out, like you've struggled with the eating disorder, you know, you've struggled with mental health. You mentioned same sex attraction. Um, like I've heard you talk to. Felicia Masonheimer and Aaron Salvato completely separate. Like I've heard you talk about like your own struggles with that. And, but yet, you know, you, I'm sure it is a constant battle for you to like 
not allow the enemy to produce shame in you and let, let your, your sin produce shame in you. But like you walk very confidently in addressing these topics in social media, in your speaking, is that difficult for you? Because you do exist in a church culture, which is only now learning how to like learning how to talk about those things, like forever conservative evangelical churches. It was like, you don't talk about that, you know? And, um, and here you are now you're like, no, I'll talk about it. You know, like, so is that, is that difficult for you to walk in that confidence that I see in you? Oh, when I forget that it's not about me, it is. Yeah. When I get stuck in that, like, oh, people really like my story. And, you know, when I'm, when (laughs) I get into that, I, there is a lot of trouble there. Yeah. And I definitely struggle with that. But I think God's been very gracious um, and very, very kind to remind me, one, it's not about me. And I, and I pray that he reminds me of that often. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, someone, someone has to go first. And I'm not, I'm, that is not me saying I'm the very first person to do all right. these things. Cause there's sure. so many people, but you're certainly one of the first Brenna. Mm. I mean, you really if are, I- <laughs> yeah. especially in our, in our camp. I mean, mm-hmm. um, like, I don't like the idea of like tribes and camps, but let's just be real. Like you and I follow the same people on social media, the same people follow us, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, mm-hmm. but you are one of the first people that I know of who's very bold in saying, no, I've struggled with this. And, um, you know, to a certain degree, still struggle. I mean, still aware of at least the struggle. And I think that, yeah, I think the Lord's anointed you to, mm-hmm. to be that person in a lot of people's life. And so the first person that they've at least heard talk about it. And that's why I think, I mean, yeah, it isn't about you. It's not about me, but like, I think it's pretty cool what you're doing and um, I think he's going to use it. And I know he has, you know, I mean, I, I, I watch your, <clears throat> the, your social media and I listen to the show and everything. And I'm just like, there's no way God doesn't use this. Mm. Like I wish when I was a student pastor that I could have sent your show to students mm. of mine, you know what I mean? And so there's plenty of people who it's, he's going to use it in. And, um, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm personally super thankful for it, but, um, you, you mentioned, um, John Mark Comer and mm-hmm. I know, I know that you really, really, uh, like John Mark Comer. And like, I think I saw you tag something the other day on social media, either with John Mark Comer or John Mark McMillan. I can't remember. <laughs> it might've been both, but, both, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> but, um, I, I would love for you to share just for, a, 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 you know, a brief moment, like what some of your influences have been. And the reason why I try and ask guests this is because there's a lot of people now who go, I love Brenna Blaine. Like I want to mm. know more about her. And I think one of the best ways is by learning who's made us who we are. So who, who kind of has been some of the major influences in your life? Yeah. I, I wrote down a list cause I feel like I always get go blank know, with this yeah, question. Too. But um, I mean, obviously I think a lot of people always say their parents, but my mom has had the most I think the most significant and real impact in my life with being able to watch someone say like, not only do I believe what the Bible says, but I'm going to walk that out. And like Mm -hmm. her belief in redemption with my parents' marriage and our family has been the most impactful to me. Um, I think one of the most, it obviously these are subjective answers, but the most prolific speaker at this point, I think in our generation is Jackie Hill Perry. She's brilliant. I don't, 
when I listen to her speak, I have to sit there with a dictionary, (laughs) but I learn so much. And she just, she just teaches the Bible like so good. I'd be remiss if I didn't, and people are going to be shocked. People who know me are going to be shocked. I said this, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say, uh, Mark Driscoll has had an impact. He drives me crazy. Um, but also like the way he teaches the Bible is amazing. Uh, Felicia Masonheimer, I would say, has the biggest has had the biggest impact on my life, um, particularly in ministry on social media. Yeah, the way that she interacts with people and the way that, man, like I've really struggled with being a jerk on the internet, like <laughs> big, big, big time. Have really and like just have struggled with narcissism and a lot of yeah. things, and I've learned so much um, from her. Uh, a, a man by the name of Paul Metzger. He is a theologian. He writes a lot for Patheos. He was one of my senior theology professors. Just brilliant and beautiful insights into theology in the way that the Bible was written that I've never heard before. And then I think people will be shocked with this one too, but John Piper, there are a lot of things I don't agree with this guy sure. on. I'm yeah. sure you could guess what ones, but um, he... The way he's able to explain scripture and the way he's able to explain issues that we deal with today and connect them back to scripture and say, like, the Bible is still relevant and important for us today is amazing and something that I hope that I can do well one day. Mm -hmm. That's an impeccable list. And um, what I appreciate about that, too, is it's like people like you you said at least twice, like people are really going to be surprised at this. But which I I think says a lot about you. Um, So anybody who listens to my show um, will know that Felicia has had a huge influence on me too. Like, I think I've learned more from about social media and like how to navigate social media from Mm. her. And um, I've been telling my wife that like, I'm just going to tell Felicia that she needs to be like, the Joanna Gaines for all of yeah. us. And then like she can do her big thing. And then like me and you and all these other people will just kind of be like on her show. Cause mm. I'm like, she's kind of like the Joanna Gaines or like the Oprah of like conservative social oh, media yeah. influencers. Mm-hmm. She's pretty insane. And then, um, yeah, I mean, John Piper. So I had John Piper's son Barnabas on this show um, about a year ago. And I've always kind of been, like with John Piper, I've always been like, yeah, I know that, I'm supposed to really like him, but I don't, I, you know, like, I'm not really engaged with his stuff <laughs> yeah. very much, but um, Barnabas really attested to his character in, in, a, in mm. a big way. But, um, but yeah, Brennan, I mean like that, that list shows a lot about you that you listen and um, engage with people who are different than you and, and, and speak differently than you think differently than you. And even in some, you know, secondary cases, it seems like believe different things than you, but you are, um, an amazing product of God's grace in like the circumstances that you've been in bringing him glory. And so, you know, for listeners who want to engage more with, with you, with Brenna, make sure to go to her website. It's linked in the show notes there. You'll find information on speaking engagements as we, um, I don't know how things are in the Pacific Northwest, but some places are beginning to open back up for us to start speaking a little bit more. Um, and as you plan, please consider her, please check out. Can I say that, um, the podcast with her in Austin, um, that's an amazing, amazing resource. Like I said, when I was a student pastor, there were many of those episodes where not only I would have benefited from, but being able to hand those off to students and young people, um, 
and be on the lookout for a forthcoming book. Can I say that God? Um, and uh, she's working on that now and go follow her on social media. All of those things really are just kind of like, in my mind, when I think about you, a signpost of pointing broken people back to a very whole and perfect God. And so Brenna, I personally am very appreciative, not just of you being on the show, but just what you're doing and like who you are and how you're letting God use you. And so thank you so, so much for giving me some of your time and for continuing to be faithful um, in the mission that he's, he's given you. Well, you said some really, really encouraging things to me today, Jeremy. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.